This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you. Visit it and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. How's everybody doing this morning? We're right in the middle of a series called The Struggle is Real. If you've been here, I don't know if you have, but if you've missed out on the first two weeks, just let me tell you, as a surprise, I guess, to me a little bit, um, when we plan things and, and I, I ask God, God, what do you want us to, to look into? Every once in a while, there's a series that we do, it just kind of surprises me. Because I, I didn't expect it to be as good as it is. This has been one of those. And, and for the first two weeks, we focused on the, the struggle that many of us face in relationships. Really to, to not just say that we love people, but to be present and to be engaged in those relationships, especially at home. Because there's many of us that, that if we, we really are honest about the way that we live at home, we're just absent. We, we're engaged in Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything else, and we're not spending time with our kids. I think maybe one of the greatest things that we have to give our kids is our time. And, and far too often as in our culture, we try to trade that out and give our kids stuff, right? Stuff doesn't matter as much as our time does. And then the last week we looked at the, the, the real struggle to be authentic in a, in a world that has given us the capacity to sell an online self to propagate a, a version, a better version of who we are to the rest of the world. And I looked at how we have a, a, a selfie-centered world, right? And really, God wants us to be vulnerable and honest. He, there's no way that we can connect to people unless we're that way. People will connect to you, not out of your strengths. They will admire your strengths, but they will connect to you through your weaknesses. And this week... We'll shift gears a little bit, but let me just plug next week for you, okay? Next week, we're going to talk about the struggle to rest. The struggle to rest. There's new data that's starting to merge that talks about the way we live that is starting to suggest that as a culture, every one of us is addicted to being distracted. We're addicted to being distracted, all right? That's a, that's a tough thing to think about, okay? It's a tough thing to think about. We're addicted to being distracted. And next week, we're going to look at God's solution to that, which is rest. But today, we're going to talk about compassion. And compassion is something that I think when we think about our world, many of us might think that our world is a little bit more compassionate than it's ever been. Because, you know, if we think about the last uh, maybe two years, there's been uh, these social fads of caring. Social, we, we might just call it social caring that have emerged. You, you may remember back in, uh, about nine months ago, there, there was a group of, of young African girls that were abducted, right? And for about a month, it was all that the, the social media universe talked about. But can I tell you something about them? They're, they're still missing. And nobody is talking about them now. The ice bucket challenge, y'all remember that? Everybody did that thing, right? Dumping buckets of ice on her to raise awareness for ALS, which is a wonderful thing, but it was hot, and now it's not. 
I mean, that's really what compassion has started to look like. And I think that if we're honest, we might realize that we're not as compassionate as we think we are. As a matter of fact, the University of Michigan has conducted a study with its graduating students. It began doing this in 1979, and the, the data that I'm going to reference is actually from 1979 to 2009, representing the span of about 40 years, using more than 14,000 graduating students, okay? And they said that they notice in the last 10 years a sharp decline in our capacity to be empathetic. As a matter of fact, this is the first thing you notice, that we care 40% less today than people did in the 1980s. We care 40%. And some of y'all are looking at me like, who cares? Right? <laughs> who cares? What's that even mean? We care 40% less. That's what I said when I read it. What does that even mean? So this is how they come up with that. They, they ask questions, and they ask you to rate yourself on a scale of one to five. One meaning it doesn't apply to me. Five meaning this is fully me. And they ask some questions like this. Like, I try to understand my friends by looking at life through their perspective. I try to understand my friends by looking at, I, and, and really one of the inferences is that they've been able to say is that other people's pain, the pain that other people are experiencing, that doesn't affect us the way it used to. Number one, I, the second question, I have a tender, or I have tender concerned feelings for those that are less fortunate than me. Significant drops in these answers. A lot of the, the questions that would identify us as being soft-hearted, right? A sharp decline. And what's interesting is that as they published the data, they made a coincidental note that the decline in empathy has this symbiotic inverse relationship to the rise in social media. Our, our decline, our, our, uh, the, our rapidly decreasing ability to, to be empathetic and compassionate has a direct result and a direct correlation to the rise of the prominence of social media. So I think one of the questions that we want to ask today is, well, why, why if we look at our lives today, why do we care less? Why do we care? I'm going to give you three reasons I think that we care less today. Number one is that we're more obsessed with ourselves. More obsessed with ourselves. If you talk to a social media researcher, and there are those people that that's what they do. They work to understand how we interact with social media. One of the staggering statistics that has to do with how people use Facebook or Instagram or Twitter is that 80% of the average user's activity actually has to do with themselves. They're checking to see who liked their status to see what comments were left. They're checking to see who's followed them or unfollowed them. 80% of our activity has to do with ourselves. And as a matter of fact, in the first week I told you that, that we're starting to see that when we, when we put something out there about ourselves, 
that's good and people like it and comment on it, that we're actually getting a a physiological response to that, that our, our brains are releasing chemicals that are actually training our bodies to become more and more self-centered. A few years ago, it was senseless to think about taking a bunch of pictures of yourself, wasn't it? It was just... And now, if you look at the variations of the different types of selfies that exist... I showed you a few that first week, the regular selfie, the I'm with my friends at the game selfie, look at this food we're about to eat selfie, right? There's even a social media platform right now that's entirely built on our capacity to take a self picture of ourselves and send it to our friends. It's called Snapchat. I mean, and that just a few years ago was senseless. The idea that I would take a thousand pictures of myself. We've become obsessed with ourselves. Number two, overwhelming exposure to suffering desensitizes us. Here's a common experience for you if you're on Facebook or Twitter. You're scrolling through your news feed and you're like, oh, there's a a new recipe for guacamole. I love guacamole. Oh, next, next story is uh, an NFL player beat his wife again. All right. And there's a funny cat video. Funny cat video. Awesome. I love funny cat videos. And then the next thing is that ISIS has decapitated another Christian. As researchers are trying to examine the way that we receive information, we're starting to understand that that presentation of information really desensitizes us to the seriousness of some of those things. That our brains have a difficulty pulling guacamole out and pulling the execution of a brother or sister out and saying, this is important, this one's not. And we've exposed, because of the, the worldwide presence of the, our capacity to share information, we're exposed to such amounts of suffering. That video that you watch before the message is a, a common experience. Facebook, someone's hurting again. There they go again, lost another job, you know. And the overwhelming exposure to that is desensitizing us. And then the next thing, a lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. Tons of people now view their relationships really in their capacity to interact with each other electronically. I text my friends. Well, we... We kind of communicate by sharing pictures on Instagram. I post a picture of them. They post a picture of me. We like it. And see, here's the thing. Without personal interaction, we get disengaged from this story. And I want to give you a principle that's universally true when it comes to compassion. The further we are away from the story the easier it is to dismiss it and ignore it. And I don't mean just in distance. I mean emotionally. 
The further we are away, the, the more distance that is gained between us and a story, the less compassionate we'll be about it. Because you may see, literally, you may see in, 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 your, in your news feed, right? News feed. We've got, we've got someone that was executed. We've got, got a friend who's suffering and hurting. Someone found out that they had cancer. And your, your daughter in your house, her, her little lizard that she's had for three days dies. And she's bawling. And you're moved by that. Why? Because you're close to the story. You're close. And the further that we are away from a story, the easier it is to be disengaged and uncompassionate. I want to give you three little snippets that come from the ministry of Jesus. Three different moments. I want to show you how Jesus was compassionate. I'm going to give you two principles that I see out of that. The first one comes from Mark 1. Mark 1. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus. Just to pause, just so you understand. If he had leprosy in those days, it was the equivalent of being full-blown AIDS today. Like, I mean, this was the guy you don't touch. You're afraid of getting the disease he has. As a matter of fact, culturally, he would have been deemed unclean. And as a matter of fact... Maybe in some of the twisted ways that we even think about sickness, the people in those days thought that people who had leprosy had it because they were sinful. So they deserved it. So a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And he said, this man said, Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be healed. Moved with compassion, he touched him. The untouchable was touched by compassion. In Matthew 14, Jesus is growing in popularity and he's crossing the sea and as the boat lands this is what happens when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them and healed their sick they knew Jesus was coming and so they gathered a large crowd and among them they were sick and afflicted and when Jesus landed and he saw the crowds and he saw those people that were hurting, that were sick, he had compassion on them, so he went and healed them. In Matthew 20, a group of blind men come to see Jesus. And the scriptures record in verse 34, he had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. If you have a relationship with Jesus, I, I'm sure that you're quite aware of this already, but Jesus is compassionate. If our lives are ever going to echo his, if they're ever going to reflect the, the person and nature of Jesus, we, we have to be compassionate too. Let me give you two things. I see out of those few moments with Jesus. Number one, 
Jesus shows us that true compassion demands action. <coughs> true compassion demands action. The word that's used in the New Testament that's often translated compassion is actually a medical term. It's something that you're familiar with, and I'm, I'm going to try to dance around this so that you can kind of get a perspective of it a little bit. It literally means to be moved, to be moved. Now, I'm not of the age that I've had to have a colonoscopy yet, but I went to the doctor last week, and he reminded me that that's coming up soon. Um, but I've heard the stories. I've heard the stories of the black stuff you have to drink ahead of time. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I've, but I've heard the stories. And when you drink that stuff, it creates a movement. <laughs> it creates a movement. The word that's used in the Greek there literally means that our intestines are moved. That our bowels are moved. Because here's the thing. Compassion demands action. It forces us to move. It causes us to do something. And if you look at those three windows of time where the scriptures record that Jesus was compassionate, he didn't sit back and give sentiment. He didn't say, I hope you get better. I hope things... No, he did something. He got involved. He moved. There was action. And number two, to say you care but not act is to not care at all. To say you care but to do nothing is really not to care. Can I tell you something today? shifted to being a very social phenomenon. Clicking is not caring. I like your status. I comment on your status. I share your status. That's not doing something. Jesus, when Jesus was compassionate, he was moved to do something. He was moved. So what does real compassion look like? What does real compassion look like? I think that's a question that we need to ask the Lord today. What does real compassion look like? The first thing that I would tell you is that compassion, compassion interrupts. Compassion interrupts. Recently I preached on Luke 8. It's a story where um, Jesus has been um, solicited by a man whose daughter is dying. And he is willing. He goes to help. But along the way, there's a woman who has been bleeding. She, just like the leper earlier, was unclean. But she enters the crowd that is following Jesus and presses forward just to touch him and is healed. Now here's the beautiful thing about that. Is that she was healed at that moment. Jesus could have kept going, didn't have to do anything else. But he stopped. 
And you might think that, that your life is pretty important and there are things that you need to do that matter a whole lot. Jesus was on the way to save a little girl that was dying. And he was willing to be interrupted. Compassion interrupts our lives. One of my favorite stories in, in all the Bible comes from Mark 2. Jesus is preaching. How many of y'all know if Jesus was preaching, it's probably good, right? I mean, it was, he's probably like really engaging and entertaining. There are thousands of people who would show up to hear him teach, right? And there's this moment in Mark 2 where Jesus is teaching. He's in a house. And the house is so filled that it's kind of overflowed to the outside. People are outside trying to get inside and they can't get inside as Jesus is preaching. And so there are these friends of a man who's been paralyzed. And they've got him up and they've brought him to Jesus, but they can't get in the house because it's too crowded. So they did something. I'm just not going to recommend that you ever do this here, okay? I'm just, just so you know this. They took the paralyzed man on top of the house, cut through the roof, and lowered him right in front of Jesus. Can I just tell you what I would do? If that happened right now, I'd be calling security. Y'all get in here. Take care of this mess. I worked hard all week to get this message right. This is the moment for it. But not Jesus. Jesus was willing to be interrupted. And you know what's interesting? The Bible doesn't record what he was preaching about. It records what happened with that man. And I love this. This is for a total different moment. But Jesus says to his, uh, his friends and to this man, their faith has made you well. Y'all don't think that you can have a difference in somebody else's life by being compassionate? Compassion interrupts. See, God often works in our lives through interruptions. I've told you this story before, but I just want to remind you of it. The moment that God called me and it spoke to me and was very specific about us moving back to Albemarle and starting Vortex, that moment happened at a stoplight. I stopped at a stoplight in downtown Columbia, South Carolina. My drive was interrupted. And it was in that moment of interruption that I was free to think and pray. And God spoke to me in that moment. See, God often speaks to us. God often moves in our lives and interruptions. And if you're not willing to let Him interrupt your life, <clears throat> you might miss out. The second thing is that compassion costs. Compassion costs us. Luke 10 has a very familiar story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Y'all remember this story? There's a man who's beaten and robbed. He's laying on the side of the road. And a couple folks like me come along. They're pastors. And they don't want to get involved in the story. They need to stay clean. They need to stay holy. They don't want to touch him. And so they leave him on the side of the road. And along comes a Samaritan man that the Bible records has compassion on him. If you read the story again in Luke 10, you'll find that the Samaritan man takes this beaten guy that he didn't know to, to a hotel and puts him up. 
He gives the hotel uh, owner, hey, here, here's, his, here's the, the, the rent for, for a couple days. Here's what he needs. He needs some provisions. Take care of him. If you translate the amount of money that they're talking about there, it comes up to today about $300. $300 that this man, who had no, no knowledge of this guy, who didn't even know him, was willing to say, hey, I, I, I want to make a difference. I have compassion on this guy. I need, somebody needs to do something. It's got to be me. to be compassionate. Compassion costs us. You see, the thing about social caring is clicking is clean. Sharing on social media is clean. But compassion is messy. Compassion is messy and it will cost you to be compassionate. It may cost you more than you ever realized you would pay. And number three, compassion changes lives. Compassion changes lives. You know, I think that in some ways throughout the years we've gotten it wrong when it comes to what we think would actually change lives. That if we see people who are getting it wrong, if we just yell at them and tell them how they're getting it wrong, then they might change. If we'd, if we'd you know, be harsh on them, they might change. But you know what Romans 2.4 says? Romans 2.4 says that God's kindness leads you to repentance. As a matter of fact, your life was changed if you've experienced the beauty of the redemptive power of God because God was compassionate on you. I'm going to tell you a story today that I think may be one of the most powerful stories I've ever told. I don't know why this story hit me the way it did, but I read this about six months ago. And as the story's unfolded over the last six, nine months, it's been just powerful to me to watch it happen. It's the story of Kayla Mueller. This is Kayla. She's a 26-year-old activist. She wrote her family when she was right out of high school. She made a decision Instead of going to college, she was going to go to India. She was going to volunteer. She told her mom and dad in trying to explain what she wanted to do. She said, some people experience God in church, and some people experience God through singing, reading. I experience God in other people's suffering. And I can't stay here and not do anything. So she went to India. She went to South America. She made several trips with several different organizations, spending years and years and years of her life. And about four years ago, when the crisis in Syria began to take on its 
form that we know it is now. As refugees were flooding out of Syria, really, we're at a catastrophic moment with that right now, if you've watched the news. And ISIS was beginning to rear its head for the first time on a world stage. Kayla told her mom and dad, I I can't stay here again. And so she went, working with Doctors Without Borders. She was in Turkey, basically working with Syrian refugees that had left uh, Syria and made their way to Turkey. You know, she told her parents in a letter, she said, you know, a good gardener knows how to take our trash and turn it into fertilizer. I think that maybe we should work harder to take our fear and our anxiety and our worry and work to cultivate that into compassion. And on her first trip to Syria, American intelligence believes that ISIS received a tip when she got to the Doctors Without Borders facility in northern Syria because as soon as she left, the convoy was ambushed and she was abducted. Recently, because of some captures that American intelligence has happened and some intel that they received, her family has released more details. She was forced to marry the number two person in ISIS. Everything that you can think that comes with that came with it. The girls that were in her facility watched them as they pulled out her fingernails one by one until she would acknowledge in some way that she would convert into Islam. February, three of the girls had planned an escape. And Kayla told them, I'm not going to go with you. They begged her, come with us. And she said, no, if I, if I, do, if I go with you, I'm, I'm the white girl. They're going to know that you're running. And within a few days after that, as ISIS claimed through an American bomb, Kayla was killed. Her family released the final letter that they got from her. It was smuggled out with those girls. I'm going to put it on the screen and I'm going to read it to you. Because I think that maybe in this story, we might be able to connect with what compassion really looks like. She's writing this while she's being held captive with the fear of this letter being caught. So you'll get that language, but I want you to see the thing she says. Everyone, if you are all receiving this letter, it means I'm still detained, but my cellmates have been released. I've asked them to contact you and send this letter. It's hard to know what to say. Please know that I'm in a safe location, completely unharmed, healthy, put on weight, in fact. I've been treated with the utmost respect and kindness. You can see that language there. 
I wanted to write you all a well-thought-out letter, but I didn't know if my cellmates would be leaving in the coming days or coming months, restricting my time. So I could only write the letter a paragraph at a time. Just the thought of you all sends me into a fit of tears. If you could say I have suffered at all through this whole experience, it is only in knowing how much suffering I have put you all through. I will never ask you to forgive me, and so I don't deserve forgiveness. I remember Mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I've come to a place where in experience, in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our creator because literally there was no one else. And by God and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. Listen to this. I have been shown in darkness light and have learned that even in prison one can be free. I'm grateful. I've come to see that there is good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. And I pray for each day that if nothing else, you have felt a certain closeness and surrender to God as well and formed a bond of love and support amongst one another. I miss you all as if it's been a decade of forced separation. I've had many a long hour to think, to think of all the things I will do with Lex in our first family camping trip, in our first meeting at the airport. I've had many hours to think how only in your absence have I finally at 25 years come to realize your place in my life. The gift that is each one of you and the person I could in life, that, that gift, I do not want the negotiations from our release to be your duty. So if there's any way to option out of it, even if it takes more time, this should never be your burden. I've asked these women to support you. Please seek their advice. If you have not done so, contact my friend who may have a certain level of experience with these people. None of us could have known it would be this long. But no, I also am fighting from my side in the ways that I am able. And I have a lot of fight left in me. I'm not breaking down. And I will not give in no matter how long it takes. I wrote a song some months ago that says, The part of me that pains the most also gets me out of bed. Without your hope, there would be nothing left. The thought of your pain is the source of my own. Simultaneously, the hope of our reunion is the source of my strength. Be patient. Give your pain to God. I know you want me to remain strong. That is exactly what I'm doing. Do not fear for me. Continue to pray and I will. By God's grace, we will be together soon. All my everything. Kayla. See, in the last few months, the ISIS videos have shifted from just simply beheading Christians to now tying explosives around their neck and forcing them to detonate it 
And even in one recent video where they took a group of Christians and put them in a cage and sank them in a pool. When we're not close to the story, it's easy to not be moved. You know what compassion really means? The word? Come, the prefix of it means with, together. Passion, the root word, means to suffer. Compassion means to suffer together. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus suffered with us in our failure. Jesus chose to get involved in our mess. And because of Jesus, because he chose not to stay away, but he chose to come to us, we now can experience freedom in life. Let's pray. God, today, we just ask you to speak to us today. God, we just, we just really, we want to be a compassionate people. We want to be the folks that, God, stop, stop looking at situations and saying, oh, I, I just feel bad for them, and we actually start doing something to make a difference. And so today, God, give us that opportunity in this moment. For those of us that, that maybe have never realized that you got in the middle of our suffering, that no matter how difficult it is, no matter how trying it's been, God, you've always made the decision to step right into our problems and our brokenness. God, what a powerful realization today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me ask you a question right now. If you're here and you realize today that your life has been broken and you need the compassion of God, that you need God to reach down and to be in your presence suffering with you. But you haven't received that yet. Raise your hand right now. I need Jesus today. Who's here that would say that? I see that. Who else? Who else is here? So God, for those that raise their hands, God, for those who need you today, I just ask you to be there with them. As they hurt, as they feel lost, let them live in the present reality that, God, that you, you chose to be with them. And God, for the next folks, God, be with us too. Let me ask one more question before we open our eyes together. How many of you would say, I, I need the Lord to help me to be a little bit more compassionate? I have, I've, I've felt some feelings, but I haven't acted on it. I want to make a difference in the world, but, I, but I'm not being the kind of compassionate I know Jesus wants me to be. If that's you, raise your hand today. Awesome. So God, today we just look to you and ask you, God, help us. Help us to give our lives and our hearts to you. Come and use them for your glory. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.